listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We are in Exodus chapter 20. So if you have a, a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, we'll have it on the screen. If you're a guest, you're home for the summer, uh, you haven't been around for a little bit, we have been working our way through the book of Exodus and so we come to really the most, maybe the most famous chapter in the book for, for many. Uh, the Ten Commandments is something, you know, it's very, it's kind of everyone has heard of the Ten Commandments, whether or not we know about it or not is, is a different story. In fact, the, the irony is I think the Ten Commandments, maybe it's because of the movie or because they were in your high school growing up or whatever. It's very famous, but yet most of us, if we're honest, we're like, we don't even, we were surprised that they were in the book of Exodus. And we'd be surprised to know that there's also a copy in the book of Deuteronomy. And for most of us, even though we know there's 10 of them, we got that fact down. We're probably, if, I, if we were asked, it would be like, how many can you name? You're like, well, okay, let me think. I know I shouldn't kill somebody. That's one. Yeah, don't cheat on taxes. What? You know, there's, there's lie. There's, we, there's an unfamiliarity, even though there's a familiarity. And so we started these last week these 10 commandments, and we looked at one and two. And so today we are gonna cover number three and four, which in the South basically is don't cuss, go to church, let's pray, right? Okay, that's, that's how we think of commandment number three and commandment number four. But I'm pretty sure that it was God's intention not that, that, to, to just say, hey, don't cuss. When you're walking through the wilderness, you step on a cactus and you're like, oh, snap, aha, he broke it. Did you hear him? Moses broke it. That's not the heart of commandment three. And the heart of commandment four is, hey, make sure you made it, make it, make it to temple on Saturday, right? It's deeper than that. And so we're gonna look at that this morning. Um, when we're talking about the 10 commandments, Clint did a great job unpacking number one and two last week. The first four really describe our relationship, our vertical relationship with God. They deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our horizontal relationship with other people. So when the New Testament writers kind of summarize it, when the Lord Jesus is asked, he says, you want, here's a summary of the law. Love God, that's the first four. Love each other, that's the last six, right? And so today we're gonna finish up that, that love God piece as we unpack number three and number four and, and see how it fits where we're at. And it's, it's bigger than don't cuss and go to church. That's, that's commandments for being Southern, right? Not for uh, what the scriptures have to say for us. And so we're gonna unpack these um, and we're gonna just kind of jump in. I wanna unpack what they meant for them and really show how these work for us. And hopefully this will help us. Again, the goal here, remember the law is for a redeemed people, a purchased people, a, a people that are to be holy, a people to be priestly, that are precious. So God has given us is, is to say, this is good. This is for your good. This is for your flourishing that you know these things. So this is not like, oh, we have to, 10 commandments, B, B, B. No, 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 this is for your good as God's people because he loves you. So let's jump in to number three, found in verse seven. Here's what the word says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So let's kind of unpack that slowly a little bit. First of all, you shall not take the word take. Uh, it's the Hebrew word nasa, just means to bear or to lift or to carry. The NIV uh, translates, I think, rightly. So it says, don't misuse, right? That's the idea. Do not misuse the name. 
And that's the significant piece of this commandment. It's the name. What is in a name, right? So one of the most important and the first things you do uh, when you have a child is what? You give them a name, right? And you know, you know, make sure you don't give them a name that they're gonna like the rest of their lives have to like be like, oh, my parents, right? And what, what do you do? You look on the internet, okay, for names beginning with the letter S or you get, in the olden days, you had those baby books. Remember those baby books? I don't think they have them anymore. It has like a thousand names. You open that up. Maybe it's a family name. You're looking for a family name. Maybe you're like, I need a good meaning. So like my name means bold protector. That's why they named me that way, right? Because they, they wanted a bold protector. Maybe you look for initials and you want to spell something out, you know, kind of fun. Uh, not my parents. They didn't think about initials. My name is William Thomas Fowler. Uh, you can figure that out later. In the 70s, that wasn't a thing, okay? It just wasn't, all right? But that's why they call me Bill, all right? It's Bill. But names are important. Names are important. They mean something. And the name Yahweh. We saw this means something. So back in Exodus 3, when God shows up in the, in the burning bush and, and Moses says, who should I say sent me? What does God say? Tell him I am who I am. First person. But when he says, when you call me, you use the third person, you use Yahweh. He is. He is the self-existing one. He is the only true God. He is the one who is holy and beautiful and pure and loving and kind and sovereign and immutable. He is. And so his name is who he is. His character is represented in his name. And so what the commandment is, it's not just don't cuss. It's don't take, don't bear, don't carry, don't misuse the name of God because it is who he is. Don't take it in vain or emptiness or, or worthlessness. Don't make it common, right? Because you're associating whatever you say with his character, right? And so it's, it's far beyond just, oh, don't cuss. It's not don't use his name. The word Yahweh is, 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 set, is used 7,000 plus times in the Old Testament. So it's not about not using his name. It's about misusing. Because when you misuse, you're, you're, it's an act of defamation against God himself, right? So how do we do this? Or do we do this? Let me give you a couple ideas that I think that, that may open your eyes to really the heart of the command. Because again, it's always been just like, eh, you know, you better say Jiminy Cricket and what the heck instead of something else, right? Uh, so what is, what is the heart? Let me give you two categories to think about. Because what does the Lord Jesus teach us? He teaches us when we pray, we say what? Our Father who are in heaven, we know that part. What's the next word? Hallowed be your name that the people of God are to hallow. It's an old word, but it means to consider holy. That's what, that's what we do, right? And so let me give you two categories. Number one, careless speech. Number two, careless living. This is way we, we kind of, that we would violate this law. First, careless speech. Let me give you a couple options. And it's not just swearing. That's covered in a different thing, right? But there is this idea in the Bible, and this is not super we don't see this a lot, but well, there's a swearing of oaths, right? You read about oaths in the Old Testament and New Testament. We don't do oaths as much anymore, but here's what we may do. We, we invoke the name of God to kind of give us some enhanced credibility. Like, I swear to God, I will promise to do this, right? Or uh, as God is my witness, I will. Mom, I swear, I'll do this if you just let me. And, and the Lord Jesus teaches us. You don't need to swear by heaven, earth, anything else. Just make your yes, yes, make your no, no. Don't bring me into the promise that you're gonna take the trash out, 
because it's making me common, right? That's the idea. So maybe not as common, but that's maybe sometimes we do it. Here's something that is, all right? Divine name dropping. What do I mean by divine name dropping, right? Something like this. Dating someone, feel like, ah, I think, I think our time is done. And so instead of just being honest and be like, I don't like you, which is, I'm not saying you should say that, but we, we drop one of these because we're Christian. The Lord really wants me to break up with you. It's, it's, I feel like God is leading us apart. So basically you're saying that you just got dumped by the Holy Spirit is what you're saying, right? We, we use God as our excuse. Or if someone asks you, hey, would you like to join our community group? Would you like to serve over here? Hey, we have the opportunity to do this. Well, let me pray about that and I'll get back to you. And then we get back. Well, the Lord has led me not to do this. And maybe God did, but if, but if we're just gonna use his name as an excuse, just say no. Don't divine name drop. Well, here's another one. I'll pray for you. And then we don't go pray, right? You're using God to make this person feel like, oh, but you're not really following through. It's using his name as common. It's using his name in vain. Here's another one. You're a Christian business owner. You're a Christian this. You advertise uh, on Christian radio. Maybe you put your, you know, you got your truck and you got your little Christian fish on there. Right? So all the Christians be like, oh, there's a Christian. It must be this. And you use that, but then you have shady business practices. You cheat people. You don't do above board business. You're using God's name in vain. You're bringing worthlessness, emptiness to it. That's one way. Here's another way. We misattribute what God has said. We, we will do things like this. I have a prophecy for you. The Lord told me to tell you this. Right? And maybe, maybe God has. But if you're gonna be God's spokesperson, you better make sure that God is the one speaking and not just you. Right? Or otherwise, Old Testament, we stone pro- false prophets, right? That's what, that's what the standard was in the Old Testament. We don't do that anymore, but that's the idea. Don't say God told me to tell you this if you're not a thousand percent sure and it's not in like with God's word. Or we try to add punch to our position by saying, we use the key word. If you just throw biblical in front of it, it makes it all good. So you have the biblical position on this. And my politics are this, because this is the biblical position. Are there things in the scripture that, pol- that relate to politics? Absolutely. But before you go bringing God into your deal, you may ma- better make sure that God is in that deal, right? Because it's, we, we often will try to bring him onto our side. God doesn't choose sides. In fact, there's a great little passage in Joshua where Joshua is out thinking about Jericho and he sees the captain of the Lord of hosts and he runs up to him and says, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? And, and, and he says, no, I don't choose sides. I am the side. Are you on mine? See, that's, that's us. We go where God is. We don't try to get him and recruit him and misattribute. We don't try to use the scripture and twist it to make our positions this. This has been done for thousands of years to justify thousands of atrocities. So you have some that have, some of you have heard this, the, the curse of, of Ham in, 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 the, in the book of Genesis is God cursed certain races and he blessed certain races. That is bogus. Nothing to do with this race is cursed and this race is not. But we use that to become racists or we use the scripture to justify the African slave trade, which if you read Exodus 21, you can read it. If you, it says, if you steal someone to sell them as a slave, you are to be put to death. The Bible does not justify stealing people to sell them as race. First Timothy 1 verse 10 says, enslavers are ungodly. So people have used the scripture to validate their position and that is taking God's name in vain, right? That's the idea. Blaming God, it's God's fault. My parents are this, it's my jo- God's fault. My, my job is this. This is what Adam does in the garden, right? Genesis three, 
when they take the fruit and God says, who did you eat the fruit? He said, the, the woman you gave me, her fault. It's taking God's name in vain. It's blaming him, right? So this is some way we do it. Here's another way, informality. Informality, where, you know, on the way to church this morning, you cannot find that kid's shoe, right? Anybody? I'm sure there was somebody. Where's the shoe? I had it yesterday. I swear I put it. The dog must have taken it. Somebody stole my shoe. No one stole your shoe. No one steals shoes here. But we can't find the shoe. Finally, we find the shoe and someone yells out, hallelujah, praise the Lord, we found the shoe. Okay, is there anything wrong with saying praise the Lord? Well, not if you're really praising the Lord, but the word praise the Lord or hallelujah, hallel means praise in Hebrew, Yahweh, praise Yahweh. You're using the divine name. And if you haven't really praising the Lord, then don't use the divine name. Or we see in, in the church of time, we see, we, we just throw out Jesus's name like it's just, you know, the word the. Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this, Jesus this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's, and Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus this. The name of, of Jesus at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Do we share intimacy with the Lord Jesus? Absolutely. Does he love us? Absolutely. Are we equal with him? Absolutely not. He is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, not us. And there, there, there should be a reverence in fact, if you read the New Testament, let me, let me uh, recommend a book to you, a book by Jen Wilkin on the Ten Commandments, actually. It's called Ten Words, and I've been using it and, and giving it to some of the guys because it's, it's a phenomenal little resource. She did the research. She, she studied in the New Testament that every time that the word, uh, the name Jesus was used in the epistles uh, outside the gospels, and 95% of the time, 95% of over 500 uses, uh, it's not just uh, the name Jesus, it's Jesus with his title. It's either the Lord Jesus or Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is a reverence with Peter and Paul and James and John because they know who he is. And, and for us as a church, it is good for our spiritual formation to remember, he, he's not your homeboy. Does he love you? Unconditionally. But he is our Lord and he is our savior and he is our Christ. And so we should not treat as common his name. We should honor his name. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here's another one, insincerity, right? So here's what this looks like. You're in here, you're singing, come thou fount. You get your hands up, woo, prone to wander, that's me, prone to wander. Yeah, you're singing, you know, you got your hands up, you want everyone to see how righteous and holy we are. And yet you haven't, prayed in six months, right? Or you're at the front greeting. I'm not picking on the greeters, but you're greeting. You're, you're teaching the Sunday school. You're, you're you, know, you know, talking to someone. Let me pray for you. And you are just lighting up your spouse or your kids this morning on the way, right? Or here's, here's more outside the church walls. You got your, you know, Christian school, baseball, basketball, soccer team, and you go before the you know, before the meet and we pray, Lord, thank you for these two teams and uh, safe travels home and hope nobody gets hurt. And, you know, amen. And then as soon as there's a bad call, you're lighting up the ref in the name of the Lord. Are you blind, Bartimaeus? Right? But we prayed. Right? Slip service. Right? All sorts of ways that we, uh, like, the, like the prophet says, these people acknowledge me with the lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right? That's why we won't have Christian softball because our church will have a, a bad reputation because if we're going to play, we're going to play to win. I mean, that's the way we would. And so... I'm taking out, I'm sliding into people. We're gonna run over the catcher. We're gonna do that. So we can't do that. So we can't play. All right, that's just the way it is. 
careless speech. Here's another one, careless living. And here's what I want you to think about. All right, we carry the name Christian, right? That's what we're called, Christians. Christ's name is in there. And, and as, as those who carry his name, what does Paul teach us? That you are an ambassador. You represent Christ at your college campus, in your apartment complex, when you go out to Chipotle, every, you represent Christ. And I want, you to th- I want you to think about how awesome that is, that God has chosen to put his name on you. You're like, man, I'm not worthy yet. Isn't that awesome? You're not. And so we carry his name flawed and with with all sorts of baggage. But he says, no, you are my representatives. And so you have his name. And so when you carry his name, there's some weight to that. And so if you're stumbling on River Street at 2 a.m. And then you're showing up and saying, I carry the name of Christ. You're bringing his name to that. We've seen this in the last year, like the hypocrisy when in some of our leaders and stuff when they're like, wear a mask, don't get around people. And then there'll be like something on Instagram with them down in like Jamaica with a bunch of people with no masks on. And what happens? Everyone rips them apart, rightfully so. That's the same thing. You come here and you're singing, you're worshiping, you're in your community group with you and your fiance, and then you go and you're, you're shacking up and living together. And see, the world says, Christian, but that they do what everybody else does. And you're carrying the name when you're a boss and you're, you're inviting all your employees to the Bible study you teach, but you're lighting them up and you underpay them and you overwork them. It's like, okay, you're bearing the name in vain. And so it's the idea, here, here's two memory verses for you. Here's one, if you're like, I need a good memory verse, here's a great memory verse for us, Right? I encourage you to, to, this is a famous verse, but if you don't know it, to memorize it. Whatever you do, fill that in the blank. Whatever you do, coach baseball, stay-at-home mom, high school student, run, cook, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. All you do, this is what it means to be an ambassador. You go to work tomorrow, you do it in the name of Christ. That gives it value and worth, whatever you do. Here's another one. Paul's praying for the church at Thessalonica. He says uh, that we pray for you that God may make you worthy of the calling, that you would bear the name Christ well, right? So that the name of our Lord may be glorified in you. Then it's about the name and you and him according to the grace of the Lord God. That's the idea. Remember, big view of God. Exodus gives us a big view of God, the God of the mountain, the God who rips apart the mountain, the God of glory, the God who is imminent but yet transcendent. All these things, the God that the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, right? That's the idea, big view of God, right? That's what he wants for us that we would honor his name. Because he says, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna leave guiltless. All the Bill Mars of the world and the people that mock Jesus and that, that say, you Christians are this and you guys are morons and all this. God will deal with that. But as his people, we want to represent and honor and exalt his name with, with speech and with our lives. So it's much deeper than don't cuss, Right? It's much bigger than that. That's the first one. Now, number four, Sabbath. Go to church, right? And this is the one that's debated in churches. And some of you came from backgrounds that you couldn't, you know, eat anything but, you know, 
fried chicken and mac and cheese and, and you had to take a nap and that was spiritual on a Sunday. And others of you have come from traditions that you can do whatever you want. And so there's some debate in the church. I'm not gonna settle that debate today, but I'm gonna give you kind of some high-level principles of how this works for us. Let me read it first and then we'll jump in. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Here's why. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what does it mean for them? All right, so he says, remember the Sabbath day. And it's not just a cognitive, like, oh yeah, it's Saturday, I forgot. Okay, the idea is there's an observance. In fact, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy is, is the repeat of the law. When, when the 10 commandments are repeated, he uses a different verb. He uses the word observe the Sabbath day. So you remember, you observe, you keep it holy. So it's distinct. There's something about the Sabbath that is distinct. It's separate, right? What's separate about it? That you do no work on it. Your servants don't work, you don't work, even your, your animals don't work. There is a Shabbat, there's a ceasing, right? There's a stoppage of everything. Everything shuts down. The entire nation for them would shut down. And there's two reasons, one in this passage and then one in the Deuteronomy. He says, here's why, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. He says, it goes back to creation. God creates, he says, it's good. On the seventh day, he rests, he ceases, not because he's tired, because he's refreshed and he's excited about what he has created. It is good and he's modeling something. So there's the creative order, which by the way is a, a I think a, a strong argument for a literal six day creation. We can talk about that another time. But Deuteronomy says that the reason they're supposed to do this is because you were slaves and God brought you out. Remember, you had to work seven days, you never got a break. And I redeemed you with a mighty hand. So keep the Sabbath. So it's rooted in creation. It's rooted in redemption. God has created. God has redeemed. And the way you worship your God is you imitate your God. He rested. You rest. He ceased. You ceased. And so what would happen is uh, on every Shabbat, nothing. They just, they just chilled out. They relaxed. They enjoyed everything that God had given them. There would be a holy convocation. They'd go and worship. There would be a sacrifice. And if you do a deep dive on the law, there was actually more than just Shabbat. There was uh, festivals and feasts where they would cease as well. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year where they weren't allowed to, to plant. They weren't allowed to plow. They just let the land go. And every seventh year after the seventh year, the 50th year was called the year of Jubilee, where so the year 49 and year 50, they would let the ground go for two years and they would just let it rest. If you owed money, it was forgiven. If you had sold yourself into slavery to one of your buddies because you just owed him money, you were his servant, you were set free. If you had sold your land to another family, the land went back to your family. It was a, a, a big deal, the year of Jubilee. So God was weaving into their the fabric of their lives, this idea of, of rest, of ceasing. And where the debate kind of lies is, what does that mean for us? Because you got some that are like, Shabbat is now Sunday, we just bump it a day and you can't do anything. You gotta be miserable and you sit there and you can't watch football, you can't do anything, you can't go out to eat, right? And then you have other folks that are like, well, it doesn't really matter, nothing matters. It's, all, that's, it's not relevant at all. I would say both extremes are wrong it was important for them because it was the sign of the Mosaic covenant. God always gives a sign with every covenant. So 
the Noahic covenant, there was a rainbow. With the Abrahamic covenant, there was circumcision. With the law, there was the Sabbath. And they didn't keep the Sabbath, so God ends up taking them out of the land for all the years they ignored it. 490 years they ignored the Sabbath year, so God took them out for 70 years. So it's significant to them. It's a sign of their covenant. But what is it for us? That's what we want to ask, right? Because when we see the Lord Jesus walking around, he's fighting with the Pharisees about Sabbath. He picks some grain and they get mad at him. He heals, they get mad at him. So what is the heart of the Shabbat for us, right? Let me give you three big ideas that were, I think that even where, if you're like, you can't go to a restaurant or you're on the other extreme, that we can agree that the the Sabbath purpose is for us, okay? Three words. Number one, faith. The purpose of Sabbath is faith. That Jesus was showing that he fulfilled the Sabbath, that he is your sustainer, he is your provider, he is your savior. See, in an agrarian society, life depends on what? The land. And there's always something to do. Right? If, you, if your land isn't working, if your animals aren't working, then you starve. There's no, I go down to the Kroger and get me a you know, rotisserie chicken. The land is life. So you're going to work as best you can to get his life. And so what God is doing, he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop for a day and see if you can trust me. See if you can trust me that I can help you in six days do what you think you can do in seven days. It is a check on self-sufficiency. Say, I'm gonna do nothing related to the farming and cows. Even my cows are gonna rest and I'm gonna enjoy God and I'm gonna trust that he can provide. See, ceasing is showing that you are the creation, not the creator. Ceasing is showing that you are not that important. But there is one who is, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so what God wants them to do is to weave into the fabric of their lives weekly, every seven years, every 50 years, this idea of I can trust God to sustain, provide for me. So much so that I can just take hands off and I can give everybody rest, including myself, right? And this is a great reminder for some of you. Because some of you, man, you're, you're drivers, you're, you're on it, you're, 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 I gotta catch up, I gotta do this, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. Do you really think that you are that powerful that you can bless yourself? See, Sabbath is a reminder. You're blessed because of God, right? Do I need to remind you who, which fast food restaurant makes the most money per store. Winter, winter, chicken dinner, literally. It's the one thing that you can't have today no matter what. Chick-fil-A. Now you're thinking about it and you're like, man, I want a cookies and cream. I do too. And it's not by accident because God has woven into the fabric of creation. You need a day off to rest, to cease, to trust right? This is what the psalmist says. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. I will be exalted. And then it says, the Lord of hosts is what? With us. You can cease because God is with you. Do you trust God enough to rest? That you, I know you was like, I got these emails. I got this business. I got to pass the bar. I got to do this. I got this paper. I got this. I got, I got all these things. I just need to get ahead. I know you think that, but do you trust God enough to sustain and provide that you can actually cease and enjoy the very things you're working for that he has given you? 
to just be done with it and trust he can get it done. Yeah, I know you're, you're staying up late. You got a, a kid that requires more energy and more time. And you got, you know, I'm, so I'm, I'm looking about blogs. And I'm reading these books and I'm doing, I'm always worried. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. Do you trust God enough with your kids, with your finances, that you can cease and know that he is God? That's one of the big points of Shabbat. It restores and reorients our faith in God. And the way you keep it is to stay away from the office. To not think about the papers. To not worry about all those things. You th- does worrying do anything to, except for get you all worked up? You gotta take z because you can't go to sleep? No, can't. So you can rest. It's about faith. It's also about rest. This is an obvious one, right? Physical rest and spiritual rest. And the physical piece is easy. You have to sleep. If God didn't want us to sleep, he would have made us with the ability not to sleep. The fact that you, are, that you have to sleep is a reminder again that you are the creation, not the creator. Everyone knows this. Everyone, even my watch tells me, okay, after a run, you need to stay off for 36 hours. My watch knows that I need to rest. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is take tomorrow off. Take a nap this afternoon. Your body needs rest. Sleep is good, right? It it just is. I am much more effective, and so are you at your job. Your boss will tell you, when you take a day off, you are better at your job than if you just work 21 hours straight, 21 days straight. You just are, because this is how God has wired us. So there's a physical aspect, but there's a spiritual rest as well. And this is what the, the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, that Jesus is our rest, that he fulfills the Sabbath because you don't, have to, you don't have to earn his favor anymore. I think some of us work, 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 hard, hard, 20-hour days, 20-hour days, 100-hour weeks, because we're trying to impress the world, right? Because we have a world where your value lies in how productive you are. And so this is why someone tells you, asks you, hey, how's your family? How's you doing? What do we always say? Busy. I'm busy. We're busy. Everyone's busy, 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 busy. Why? Because busy means important. Because if I say, it's been great, we haven't done everything, anything for two weeks, people can be like, lazy, worthless. Because there's something about busy that makes us feel good. Good. And what Shabbat is about is you don't have to impress anybody. God is not impressed with your work. He's honored by it, but he's not impressed. You don't have to, we have people that are trying to spiritually impress God. I keep the rules. I read my Bible every day. I do all these things. The idea of Shabbat is you can rest in the work of Christ, period. He has accomplished what you could never do. So stop trying. What does Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary. Anybody can check that box. Heavy laden. And I will give you, what's he say? Rest. That's what Sabbat is about. That you come to Jesus and you trust that he can carry your burdens. He can carry your sin. He can carry your marriage. He can carry your school. He can carry if you need to pass the bar. He can carry it and he can give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. I'm humble. I'm gentle. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And some of you got to stop trying to impress the world and impress the church and impress everybody else to how important you are. And you need to rest in the fact that you are loved by God, not because you have done anything, just because he is good. 
and you can rest in him. That's what Shabbat is about. It's about keeping him at the center of your life and resting in him, right? So it's about physical and spiritual rest. And there's one more, and this is the obvious. This is the go to church piece, right? You're all glad you came to church on the go to church Sunday, right? But there's a worship element to Shabbat. There's a worship element. They would gather at the temple, at the tabernacle, and when Israel was finally landed in synagogues on Saturday, the word would be read, they would sing, there would be a sacrifice, all sorts of elements. And, and there's, there's a tension in the church where, you know, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That is true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But I would say a Christian that does not go to church is an anomaly. Because this is good. This is what God has designed for you. And it should be a prior. The corporate worship of, of the church, of God's people gathering, is an important thing. If it wasn't, you know what we could do? We could get the best preacher in America. I don't know who he is. But we could all get him, put him on our TVs, watch him every Sunday or Saturday night or whatever we want to do, and that would be enough. It's not about me. Praise God, it's not. It is about God's people gathered, and when two or more are gathered in his name, there is a uniqueness. There is something special about God's people gathering. Do you realize that? Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is here? Think about that. God, the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that the presence of Jesus himself is in this room? Do you realize there's angels right now? You can't see them, and it's a good thing because you'd be freaking out if you could. The angels are watching and observing what we do right now. They're watching you. Kind of freaky, isn't it? But this is unique. This is special. And the metaphors that the New Testament uses for the church, a building, a body, a marriage. Jesus is the foundation. We are the building. Jesus is the groom. We are his bride, right? The Lord Jesus is the head. We are his body. That you have to have both for the metaphor to work. You can't, have, you can't have a foundation and there's no house. It's like, well, there's a good foundation. It's a piece of concrete there. What, what's the point? There's not a marriage if the bride is not with the groom. There's not a body. If there's not a, a life, if there's a head with no body, that's a monster. That's just floating scariness. They go together. The point is this. This is, this is vital. And I'm not saying if your kid's sick, stay home. And if you're out of town, we're not being legalistic here. We're saying it ought to be a priority for the people of God to worship with each other. And I know COVID's thrown us all a loop and now it's gotten easy to stay home and, and kind of, you know, oh, we'll just watch Bill from, with our jammies. That's okay, got it. But I know that's easier, but that, it's important for you to be here. It, it just is. Because half the time we're going to say we're going to watch Bill and then we don't watch Bill and it's not about Bill and then we you know, put Bill on time and a half because I already speak fast enough. If you can get me on time and a half on YouTube, then you're the man, right? <laughs> but it doesn't become a priority and then it slips in the gathering of God's people. Just let me encourage you. If you're a high school senior, you just graduated, the most important decision you'll make come August is not what you're gonna pledge, not your major, is that first Sunday is choosing to go be with the people of God. Not because it makes you a better person. You could go first Sunday and never show up again, but it sets a pattern of what is important to gather with God's people. There's something unique about God's people together singing. It's not that the sermon is so great. It rarely is, I promise. But this is how God cares for his children 
one of the ways. It's a common grace. We sing to each other. We sing to God. We're reminded. So when you come, you come ready to give. Give of yourself. Give to other people. Here's what the writer to Hebrews says. He says, let us consider. You actually are supposed to think about it. How can I encourage that person over there? How can I help that person over there? How can I give rest to that person over there? How can I, this is what we're thinking about. How to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting staying home, staying out. That's the, that's the habit of son. But encouraging one another. You are needed. So you come ready to give. You come ready to receive. That God will speak through his word despite who's on stage, whether it's me or Clint. That God's word will feed his sheep and you come ready to respond. That God speaks and so his sheep hear his voice and they listen and they respond. That, that's what we're doing, right? Is our church better than another? No. Is it some legalistic thing? If you don't show up, you're, no, it's not. But it's a privilege of the people of God to get together. And it's part of how we Shabbat, where we remember we're not a stop on the way to Tybee, right? We're the people of God gathering to honor the resurrected Lord. That's why they moved it from Saturday to Sunday in the early church. They called it the Lord's Day because Jesus rose on the, the first day of the week. And so in remembrance of that, the church gathered on those days. It's far more than just go to church and don't cuss. About honoring God's name, carrying his name. You guys are about to go carry his name to lunch and carry his name to Tybee and carry his name to picnics and carry his name to work. It's big. It's a privilege. And then we worship and we rest and we trust. That's what Shabbat's about, right? So we're going to together, before we go, uh, remember the table uh, as God's church, something that the early church did because the Lord Jesus taught them and we have the privilege to do it as well. And so if you uh, this morning are a follower of Jesus and you put your faith in him for the forgiveness of sins, we're gonna celebrate that. And so we invite you, whether you're a member, whether you're a guest, whether you're just in town for one Sunday, to celebrate with us. We're gonna give you just a few moments as our, our, our men and women hand out the elements to just sit in that and be thankful and remember and uh, ascribe to the Lord the glory to do his name. Maybe just take a few moments to pray. Thank God that he opened your eyes to his love for you. Thank God that he is allowing you to be in a country where you can freely worship. Just take some time. Maybe there's some confession, some repentance, some struggles that you need to confess. This is, this is a time for you, wherever you are at, to just reflect on God's love for you, to reflect on what he's done for you. And then I'll lead us in just a few moments uh, in taking the elements. So just hold them as they are passed out to you, uh, and then we'll take them together in just a few minutes. Let me pray. Father, as we remember your love and how Christ demonstrated it to us, uh, pray that we would not take in vain just even these, these symbols of what you have done, that you have loved us with an everlasting love, uh, that you have called us your sons and daughters. And so we take uh, that seriously and we're so thankful for that. It's in Christ's name I pray.